If this is your first Sunday with us, we're really thankful that you're here. We want to welcome you here again. And thank you for joining us. After the service, if you have any questions about our church, I'm going to be down front here. I'll ask Pastor Michelle, Pastor Michael to be down front as well. So come down front after the service, ask us some questions. And we would love to get to talk with you over some lunch today as well, too. So the newcomer's lunch. If you feel like a newcomer, we'll just leave it at that. If you feel new, we want to have lunch with you today. Free lunch. We have a lot of food. Uh, So go to the table in the back, and we'll let you know where to go uh, immediately following the service. So what we're doing this morning is we're, we're looking at the resurrection of Jesus. And Pastor Michael kicked us off last week with the first sermon in a six-part sermon series looking at the resurrection of Jesus. And basically, our fundamental question for these six weeks is this. What difference does it make to us today that Jesus Christ rose from the dead 2,000 years ago? Is that a good question? What difference does it make to us today that Jesus Christ rose from the dead 2,000 years ago? I'll tell you what this sermon series is not. This sermon series is not a chance for us to prove to you that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's another sermon series. Pastor Michael's working on that one right now, I think, so you can talk to him about that. We've talked about that before as a church. We'll talk about it again. That's, that's not our purpose in this series. Our purpose in this series is to say we as a church believe that Jesus Christ indeed, indeed was crucified and did raise from the dead. So if that happened, what difference does that make to us now? We're not interested in just saying, here's something we believe, we can articulate, we can write down, I guess to be a Christian, I'm supposed to believe this, now I can move on. We're interested in asking, what, how do I live differently in light of this? How is my life different? How are we as a church different if Jesus Christ really rose victorious from the dead? And so Pastor Michael kicked us off last week and gave us a helpful overview of where we're going to be going. And I'm going to reference a couple things that he said uh, throughout this series. Uh, but, but here's my main point this morning. Here's my main point uh, throughout this entire sermon this morning, and it's this. At the resurrection, at the resurrection, Jesus Christ is shown to be the world's only true Lord and King. Did you get that? Because really, you can tune out after this because it's my only point. (laughs) At the resurrection of Jesus, at the resurrection, Jesus is shown to be the world's only true Lord and King. That's That's my only point. And it raises for me this question. Have you and I, have we fully accepted the lordship of God as our king? Or, or have we centered our lives around other lords, other kings? Okay? So we're done. You can go. You can go now. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at God as king. We're going to start in the Old Testament. We're going to move into the New Testament. We're going to end looking at the resurrection of Jesus because this idea of God being king is prevalent throughout the Bible. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to have the text up on the screen here in just a minute, but I want to say a couple things before we get to that, but just so you have it ready. 1 Samuel chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. From the very beginning, we see that God acts as a Lord, as a king. And this, this makes sense to me, at least, because if you create something out of nothing, you get to be in charge of it. Would you agree? If somebody can come up after the service and out of thin air, you know, create a, a meal of whatever, I don't know, jerk chicken and plantains for me to eat right here, that's your, like, you, you get to keep that, right? As your meal, you made it out of nothing. I have no claim over that. God, we see in Genesis chapter 1, creates everything out of nothing. 
So it stands to reason that God is king, right, over that? Would you, is that a stretch for you? Or are you okay with that? It's an important first assumption that we need to make. If God creates everything out of nothing, God gets to be, is king over, is Lord over his entire creation. Here's the interesting thing to me. When we look at Genesis, God creates different things on different days. And, and, and at the end of each day, he, 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 God surveys God's creation. And, and do you remember what God says at the end of every day? What does God say? It is good. Every day, it is good, it is good, it is good. He's taking pleasure in his work as the Lord, as the ruler, as the king over this which he has created. But then he gets to humanity. He gets to Adam and Eve. And what does God say at the end of that day? What does he say? He says, it is very, he doesn't go, shoot. <laughs> no, it is very good. Every day, the, the first five days, it is good, it is good. It is, and then humanity. And God looks back. It is very good. And this is the interesting thing to me. Because God, by rights, is king over all God has created. He's in charge. But when it comes to humanity, when it comes to Eve and to Adam, what does God do? God says, I want you to participate with me in the care, in the stewardship, in the ruling over, in the reigning over my kingdom, my world, my creation. God only does this with Adam and Eve. God only does this with humanity. God, as king, who has rights over everything God has created, comes to humanity and says, I want to invite you to be a part of this with me. I I, I want to invite you to participate in caring for the world, one another, the creation. I want you to participate with me. You see what I'm saying? And this is pretty amazing. And we know what happens, right? They do great. We all live happily ever after. Right? So what happens? What happens? Adam and Eve, for a time at least, they do their thing. And then, one day, they rebel. I'm shortening the story here a little bit. One day, Adam and Eve basically reject God, reject their king. One day, they say, no thank you. We actually have a different plan. We actually are going to choose a different way to go. We're actually going to uh, uh, center our lives around a different Lord, a different king. Now, remember, God is king. God has created everything by rights, by fairness. God gets to do whatever God wants to do with God's creation, right? What does God do? This is key. This is key for this whole sermon. What does God do right here? He lets them go. God doesn't fight them. God doesn't force them to stay. God doesn't assert his kingly authority over them. God lets them go. And God explains the consequences of this rebellion. You're walking away from my kingdom, my rule, and my reign. You're walking into a wilderness, and here are the consequences of it. You're free to go. This is absolutely key for us to understand about the character of God. God is a God who allows us to leave. God, king over everything, in charge of everything, ruler of his creation, allows those he's created to leave. Are you with me so far? 
Here, let, let's give a, a really, really tangible example of this. And this is in the first Samuel passage, if you want to go and put that out there. So, so let me give you the, the real condensed version of the story. Adam and Eve uh, uh, leave. They choose a different lord, a different king. God does not give up on God's people. He comes to a man named Abraham, says, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great people, into a great family, will turn into a great nation who will come into possession of land. You will be my people in order that I can bless the world. And it happens. Abraham's family grows. There's this sort of sidetrack where they get taken into captivity in Egypt, but God provides Moses to liberate them from Egypt. They wander for 40 years in the wilderness, but eventually they come to the promised land. And, and they are living as a people under the rule and the reign of God, their king. They don't have any other king. Everybody else around them has kings. All the other nations, all the other peoples have kings. But the Israelites have no king. They have prophets. They have judges. They have women and men who act as God's spokespeople to give them direction. But they're very clear that they have only one king, and it's God. So, so, so God's plan is moving forward. And let's watch what happens. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. Samuel is one of the prophets. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. Jumping up to verse 19 after Samuel warns them, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and to fight our battles. So a very tangible, very practical example of how Adam and Eve's first rebellion is carried out into human history. God is very clear about what's happening here. You'll notice in this passage, Samuel, Samuel kind of comes to God and, and he's, he's sort of grumpy. And what does God say? Samuel, Samuel, it's not you. It's me. They're not rejecting you, Samuel. Get over yourself. They're rejecting me. God's crystal clear about what's happening here. Samuel, this is not about you. You don't need to feel bad about this. This is my people, my kingdom, once again rejecting me. And what does God say? I'm used to it, basically. Happened in the garden. Happened in the wilderness. It's happening again now. Samuel, they're not rejecting you. I know how this works. Once again, they're choosing other kings, other lords over me. They're once again walking away from me. God's crystal clear about what's happening here. And just like in the garden, God allows his people to walk away. Again, there are consequences. Samuel, tell them what's going to happen. Tell them that the king they choose is going to end up being a dictator, is going to end up basically enslaving them, overtaxing them, taking their children to fight his battles. Make sure they know what they're choosing. But I'll let them go. I'll give them what they want. They can center their lives around a different lord and a different king if they want to. And this is our story. This is your story and this is my story. 
The reality is that in the human heart is this tendency to over and over again choose other lords and other kings besides our Creator. Over and over again, you and I say there are other lords, other kings, other authorities that I'm going to worship, that I'm going to center my life around other than the one who made me, who created me. Are you with me? Um, so my guess is if you're like me, though, um, there's, there's some of us here that have a tendency to say, uh, no, ain't nobody the king of me. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Maybe there are people who worship other kings. Maybe there are other people who have other people telling them what to do. Maybe there are other people who have kind of walked away and find themselves trapped by some false lord, fault not me. I do my own thing. I do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. Really? Did you pay your taxes on Thursday? No, I'm serious. Did you? Because if not, you're late. (laughs) We have this tendency. I'm going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it. No one's going to tell me what to do. Did you pay your taxes on Thursday? Because if you didn't, someone's going to show up at your door. And I'd like to be there when you go, I'm sorry. I do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. No one's the king of me. Anybody ever get one of of these in the mail? (laughs) You recognize this? It's not the sweepstakes, no. This is a, as you can tell you, it's a very familiar envelope in my household, um, and it's not my wife's fault. I come home about six months ago, and my wife is at the door, and she's just doing one of these. <laughs> Anybody recognize that? And I'm like immediately defensive. It wasn't me. That must have been you. I've been, because I've gotten like three of those already. I'm really careful now. I don't drive through, because I know they got the cameras everywhere, so it's not me. That's wrong. That's someone else's car. They got her license plate. She's like, okay, let's just, we'll just. And you know what? Now they can, you can see these things online, the videos. You know this? Have you experienced this? So she types in the web address. And up pops a video. And it's me. And it's, oh, there's nobody else in the car. Blowing right through a red light. I mean, not even, it's not even dark orange. It's red, red, red. Sunday morning on the way to church, Pastor Michael, too, yeah. <laughs> and so I go real quick from, no, that's wrong. I know what I'm doing. I'm in charge here. That's, that's got to be a mistake. That's somebody else's, too. Um, where's the checkbook again? Because I, I owe somebody some money. There's this tendency, though, for us to say, no, I, there is nothing in my life that I have given that kind of allegiance to. There's, there's no voice. There's no power. There's no, I'm, I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. These are kind of some silly examples. But here's, here's where I think the rubber meets the road. It's when the bottom falls out on life. That's when we figure out what it is that we care most about. That's when we figure out who we've given our allegiance to. That's when we figure out who is our Lord when the bottom falls out. Because what happens when you get laid off? What happens when you've strived so hard for this position? You've wanted it for years. You know exactly where you're going. You've worked so hard to get there. You finally get it, and then you're laid off. What happens? Because I guarantee the people around you can look in and say, that, that was the most important thing. 
in her life. What happens when you're all alone? What happens when nobody's returning the phone calls? When no one's returning the emails? When you're texting folks and nobody's texting back? (laughs) What happens when you're used to being the life of the party, the center of attention, when you've gotten by on your personality, able to kind of attract folks to yourself, and now you're all alone? It's devastating. What happens when you have kept all the rules, when you have done everything right, when you have kept your nose clean, when you have pleased everybody, when you have done everything right, and tragedy still strikes? And the marriage falls apart, or the relationship falls apart, or the job disappears, or someone gets sick, and it becomes really clear that your Lord was your religion, was your ability to do good, do right, Make everybody happy. I think the reality, if, if we're honest, is that what we see in Adam and Eve, what we see in the nation of Israel is true for us too. That over and over again, we say, no thank you to the only true king. And we give our lives, we give our attention, we give our resources, we give our energies and our passions to other lords and to other kings. And our God allows us to walk away. And and, and there's this thing that we need to see, which is, though we walk away, though we swear allegiance to new kings, our God never stops being king. Though we turn our backs, though we rebel, though we choose other lords and other kings, our God never stops reigning and ruling as the world's only true king. And so, and so listen to what uh, Isaiah the prophet says. Uh, this, is, this is language maybe familiar to us around Christmas time, but this is, again, jumping forward into the Old Testament just a little bit. And Isaiah, as one of God's prophets, is, 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 is looking forward to the day when God as king will be made known to his people once again because now they are in exile. Now they are in captivity. For unto us, again, remember, he's looking forward. He's prophesying into the future. For unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will what? He will what? He will reign on David's throne and over his what? Over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Whether or not you and I have walked away has no bearing, has no bearing on the kingship of our God, on the lordship of our God. And so Isaiah is looking at the plight of his people who are in captivity, and he's looking forward and saying, there will come a day when God's kingship, when God's authority, when God's lordship is going to be made known to his people once again, because God never stopped being king. The, the, The ironic thing, the ironic thing about the human plight, about my plight, is that when I reject God as my king and I choose something else, that other Lord, that other king that I thought would bring pleasure, enjoyment, freedom, ends up what? Enslaving me. 
ends up uh, placing me in bondage, in captivity. So I walk away from the only true king to find something else, to center my life around something else, and time passes and I find I cannot leave that thing. My identity has become tied up in this thing. I am a, I'm an, I'm addicted to this thing. This is, the, this is the irony about the human story is that we have true freedom under the reign and the rule of God and we turn from that. We choose our own kings, our own, own lords and find out that they're nothing but dictators. They've enslaved us. They've captured us. They've bound us up. And we can't, under our own power, leave. Shake free. We're stuck. The irony is that we see something glittering and pretty. We say, I'm going to choose that over the reign and the rule of God, only to find that it's empty, it's hollow, and it's killing me. And so, and so we, we reject beauty. We reject a God who's created the entire creation in amazing, beautiful, captivating ways. I mean, just look at Lake Michigan. In the middle of our city is a lake that changes colors depending on the time of year and the clouds, and then the, the waves come in, or in the wintertime, the ice builds up, and it's just gorgeous. A tiny reflection of the beauty of our God. And we say, no. I don't want to live under that rule and that reign. I have this lustful heart that I want to satisfy instead. The immense beauty, the, 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 the captivating wonder and power of our God. No, 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 no. It's this lustful thing that I'd rather satisfy. That I'd rather spend my time on. And we find ourselves trapped to a world of fantasy, pornography maybe, and we can't walk away. We live under the rule and the reign of a God who reconciles all people, all things to God's self, a God that not for one moment has left his creation to its own, a God who is pursuing his world, pursuing his people to make all things right. And we say, no, 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 no. I'm going to choose revenge instead. I'm gonna, I can do this better. I'm going to walk away from the true reconciling justice of God and do this by myself. And so you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. And that group of people hurt us, so we're going to hurt them back. And then they're going to hurt us back. And then, and then this nation did this to us, and so then we're going to do this to that nation. And then this. Would you agree this is the human story? And we become, we become caught. And so, and so the beautiful thing about Isaiah's words is that, is that Isaiah is not just saying one day God is going to make himself known as king. It's going to be this really neat thing that happens. Ta-da, I'm king. I've been king all along. Isn't that great? No, what Isaiah is saying is that the king will return and that the king will liberate his people from everything that has bound them. 
God's kingship, God's lordship, Isaiah says, is going to be made known. And it's not just going to be something that catches our attention. Isn't that cool? It's going to be the thing that frees us from the dictators, from the false lords, from the false kings who have entrapped us. And then one day, and then one day, the angel Gabriel comes to this girl, 13, 14 years old, this girl. We have that Luke slide up there. And, and Gabriel freaks this little girl out. Mary, Mary, the king is coming. The king is coming, Mary. And guess what? <laughs> guess what? You're his mother. Look, how, look, look at the language that Gabriel uses. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will what? He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his what? Kingdom will never end. Mary, the king, the king is coming. Mary, the king is coming. I'm going to skip, I'm going to skip now 33 years (laughs) to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And this is your, this is your commercial. This is your preview. Five weeks from now, we're going to start a sermon series from the gospel of Matthew. And you're going to get a lot of the life of Jesus. Okay. So you got to come back for that. How many weeks is that going to be, Pastor Michael? A lot of weeks. We're going to spend a lot of time just on the, on, the, on the life of Jesus. Because in the life of Jesus, we see the kind of king and the kind of kingdom that we serve and that we're a part of. So we're going to spend some time there. So I'm going to skip that today. Is that okay? Go back. If you need to, just go read Matthew this week, okay? But we're going to, we're going to skip from the birth of Jesus to the death and to the resurrection of Jesus because, because what happens is that at the resurrection of Jesus, all of Jesus' closest followers and disciples are, are blown away. And what they do, what they have to do after Jesus rises from the dead is they have to look back at Jesus' life and say, whoa, we missed it. We, we, we missed what Jesus was about. We missed what Jesus was telling us about. They have to kind of reinterpret Jesus' life. Oh, this is the kind of freedom that Jesus has brought us. This is the kind of life that Jesus is about for us. And so what we find is that in, in, in the New Testament, Jesus' friends and followers, they have to look back at the resurrection of Jesus and they have to say, this is what our king is like because he rose from the dead. Turn to the book of Ephesians if you have your Bible. We're going to look at the book of Ephesians here just for a minute. Um, But let's recap real quick what we've seen so far. God, as Lord of the universe, creates the world, creates the cosmos, and rules and reigns over it. God creates humanity and says, this is very good, and I want you to participate with me in the care and the stewardship of my creation. I want you to be a part of this. Humanity says, no thanks. We're going to revolve our lives around other lords and other gods. And God, in his goodness and mercy, allows us to walk away. And we've said this morning that this is the kind of, this is the, the narrative. This is the thing that keeps happening in the, in the human story. You and I continue to do this kind of thing. We walk away. We choose to center our lives on other things, other lords, and other kings besides God. But God never stops being king. 
No matter what we do, where we go, what we have worshipped, what we have done, God never stops ruling and reigning as king. And so God says, I am going to make myself known to this world. I'm going to make it known once and for all that every other Lord, every other king is a fraud. And then the angel comes to Mary and says, it's happening. It's happening. After the death of Jesus, he was crucified, he was buried for three days, and then is resurrected. His disciples have to explain what, what happened. Because this was not the plan. This was not expected. Oh, you, you need to hear this. There wasn't like some ancient Jewish um, mythology or expectation that people rose from the dead. That wasn't part of That would have been as surprising to them as it would be to us. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? And so what happens is that Paul, one of the early disciples, one of the early followers of Jesus after the resurrection, he looks back on the life of Jesus, back on the resurrection, and he says, I got to explain to you what happened here because you weren't expecting it. This was a surprise ending. So let me tell you what's going on here. Let me tell you how God's kingship is being made known through the resurrection of Jesus. So let's look at this passage. Ephesians chapter 1, what? Verse 18. 18 through 23. Paul says, I pray also, now Paul's writing to an early church in Asia. I pray also that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the power to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in all the saints and his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all other rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. There's a lot going in going on in these verses, okay? So let me try to just, um, let me try to break this down a little bit for us. Two words, uh, hope and power. Hope and power. Say hope. Say power. So what Paul is doing here, he is showing how the resurrection of Jesus gives you and I both hope and power. Paul is showing that because Jesus has been made known as king of the universe, once and for all, you and I experience both hope and power. Let me show you how this happens. Pastor Michael last week talked about going to see a movie. And he was going to choose this movie with his wife based on the preview that he had seen. What movie did you end up seeing? Why I Got Married? Why Did I Get Married 2? Tyler Perry movie. You can ask him about it afterwards, whether you should go see it or not. But he said to us, he said to us, I, I'm, I'm going to make my decision based on what? Do you remember? Huh? Preview. I've seen the previews for both of these movies, so I'm going to choose which one I'm going to see based on the, the movie's been made, the story's been told, I've seen the previews, so I know which each of these is about, so I'm going to make my decision based on that. And Pastor Michael last week, he said, the resurrection of Jesus functions for you and I as a preview. You remember that? When Jesus, when Jesus rises from the dead, you and I get a a glimpse, a taste of where our story is going. 
So Jesus Christ is crucified. He takes onto himself all of the sin, all of the wickedness, all of the injustice, all of the evil in the world, and he takes it to the cross and it's put to death. Not only that, Jesus raises from the dead three days later, victorious, triumphant over all of that. Right? Okay. But that's, here's where the preview comes in. That's not the end of the story, is it? Right? That's not the end of the story. So what happens is Jesus rises victorious from the grave over sin, over death, over evil, right? And we now have hope because the story will continue with Jesus returning one day to restore, to recreate all things and bring full justice for the world. And at that day, you and I as followers of Jesus will be resurrected, bodily resurrected into this new kingdom that Jesus is now proclaiming and demonstrating. Clear as mud. We're going to spend a lot of time on this in about two weeks. So just, you know, if that didn't make any sense, that's okay. Two weeks later, we're going to spend a lot of time on this. But this, Paul is saying, is our hope. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, defeating sin, death, and evil. Because Jesus Christ one day will come back and restore and recreate and make all things right, resurrecting his people into this kingdom of God. We have hope that the victory of God is being made known when? Now. Okay? Now, here's the thing. Some people think, and I need to clarify this, some people think that Christians are wishful thinkers. No. What's wishful thinking? Wishful thinking is saying, I would re- I'd like a million dollars right now. I'd like a million dollars right now. That is not based in reality. <laughs> I have no reason to think that within the next five minutes, I'm going to get a million dollars. I'm not going to stop any of you if you have, like, access to, you know. That's totally wishful thinking. It'd be nice. I wish for it. It'd be cool. There's no reason for me to think that I'm actually going to get it. Christians are not people who think wishfully. Christians are not people who wish for something different. Christians are people who hope Because we know how the story ends. You see the difference? Hope, hope is placed in something certain that will happen. Hope is placed in the future that has already been made known in the past. Jesus Christ resurrecting from the dead. Because this happened, we have hope that one day our king will come back and be made known fully to this world. Clear? 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 Hope. Paul says, because Jesus Christ rules and reigns from the right hand of God the Father Almighty, we today have hope. Some of you need to hear this. Some of you need to hear this because you don't feel hope right now. Hope is not pretending like everything's okay. Hope is not glossing over hard stuff. Hope is not looking the other way when injustice is committed. You hear what I'm saying? Hope is placed in the victorious Christ. And because we have that hope, we can acknowledge the present, including all of the hard stuff. And so we can take time and we can pray for violence in our city. We don't have to turn our back and act like everything is okay and wave our hands. We're always happy all the time, no matter what. No. 
because we have a hope in what Jesus has already accomplished for us and for his world, we can acknowledge what actually happens around us. Amen? That's the kind of church that we're going to be. Paul says we are a people of hope and we are a people of power. This absolutely, so you know, blows my mind, blew my mind repeatedly this week. So if I get, you know, just, this is amazing to me. Because what does Paul say in this passage? What does Paul say about power? Paul says, Paul says that the same power, the same power of God that resurrected Jesus from the grave is present among his people now. That ought to make, that ought to make us go, really? Because we don't live that way. I don't live that way. Most of the time, I do not believe this. Paul says that the same power of God that made it impossible for Jesus to be held in the grave, the same power of God that defeated sin, death, and evil for all time, the same power of God that resurrected Christ from the grave and seated him at the right hand of God the Father Almighty from whence he judges and rules and reigns over his entire creation is present. Now. Now. Here. Among God's people. Do you believe that? You, really, Because if we believe this, our lives look radically different than how they look most of the time. That's my guess. Most of the time, I live as a a person with fear. I live as a person um, who's pretty tentative. I I live as a person who um, looks at the way the world works, looks at the powers, the authorities, the, the corrupt powers and the authorities, and I say, well, what can we really do about that? Paul says, resurrected Jesus wasn't a parlor trick, wasn't a cool little magic trick, wasn't something that just happened once. Isn't that great? Jesus is up doing his thing in heaven. Isn't that cool? Same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is present among God's people now. which should encourage us, but should absolutely terrify us at the same time. We sit in the presence of the very power of God. It's not something to be treated lightly. It's not something to be glossed over. It's something that should should cause us to fall onto our faces most of the time. You and I have been invited into the very presence of God where we know and experience the power of the resurrected Jesus. The only reason, New Community Bronzeville, this is not my sermon notes, the only reason that we have any hope to pursue the mission that God has given us in our city, in this neighborhood, in the surrounding neighborhoods, the only reason that we have any hope, any confidence that God will do what God wants to do, that he will use people like you and like me. And I know some of your stories. I know my story. The only reason we have hope is because God's power is present among us now. What are we doing otherwise? What is the point? 
hope and power because the resurrected Jesus rules and reigns from his throne, the right hand of God the Father. And then Paul just, just I think, just for kicks. <laughs> like, let me just push this a little bit further. Paul says that same Jesus, that same Jesus who has, has accomplished all of this, that same Jesus who rules in this kind of splendor and majesty, the same Jesus who has exhibited this kind of power over your worst enemies, the same Jesus who has liberated you from the false kings, the false lords, the dictators who had entrapped you and enslaved you, the same Jesus is head of this church. And this is where words fail. Somehow, Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, reigns and rules over the entire creation as king made known to all the powers, the principalities, and authorities in this world. Somehow, Jesus reigns and rules in that way and at the same time is head of new community, Covenant Church. I'm not in charge. Pastor Michael's not in charge. Pastor Michelle, the resurrected Jesus Christ, who could not be held by the grave, is the head of his church. Is that hopeful to you? Is that good news to you? No, it's not. Is that good news to you? Is the fact that we serve a resurrected Savior who isn't a long ways away looking down on us, but present here now, giving us the power of God that resurrected Jesus from the dead, head of this church. Is that good news to you right now? Let's end with this. Worship team, why don't you go ahead and come, up, come back on up. Implications, huge implications. If God has been king for all time, if God through the resurrected Jesus has made known his kingship, his lordship over all of the universe for all times, if that is true for us now, if you and I have been offered true freedom, true liberation from the things that bound us, from the ways that we were in captivity, if all of that is true, then we have to ask, what are the implications? Let me speak real quick to those of you who aren't sure whether you would call yourself a Christian or not. Some of those of you who would say, eh, I'm interested, maybe, but not totally sure. Huge implications of this. Huge implications of this. There's a king who can liberate you. There is a king who can offer you freedom from those places that you've not been able to free yourself. There is a good and loving and powerful king who wants to do this for you. There's a king who has already waged war, who has already gone to battle for you. And in defeating sin, in defeating death, in defeating evil, offers you true redemption and freedom. There's a victorious, a resurrected king who stands in power and judgment over every pseudo-king, over every false lord, every idol that has ensnared you. And listen to this. There's a king who rules now over his coming kingdom who wants you to participate with him. Who doesn't want to just for one moment rescue you. Who wants to rescue you out of bondage and then invite you to participate in his work in this world. There is a king who knows your name. There is a king who has known you forever. There is a king who has purpose and mission and plan for your life. No matter what has happened to you, no matter what you have done, there is a king who still looks at you and says, I, I want you. 
I have a role for you to play. I have mission for you to do. I've created you exactly how I want you to be, and I need you to participate in my mission in this world. Christians, Christians, huge implications for us. Huge implications for us. If you and I confess Jesus as our king, we have to ask, are we living as if that's true? Are you willing to ask that question? Are you willing to ask, is there any other Lord, any other king that is competing for my allegiance, for my affections? Can you ask that? Can you ask, what would happen if this thing were taken from me? If this relationship, if this job, if this status were taken from me? Would I be shown to have only one true unchanging king? Or is my allegiance divided? Christians, if if Jesus is now enthroned above all principalities and powers, over all rulers and authorities, over all false kings and false lords, then what the heck do we have to be afraid of? Why do we live with fear? Why do we tolerate fear? Why does fear have such a strong voice in our lives? If Jesus Christ defeated death, sin, and evil, if Jesus Christ as victorious king has rescued you from everything that has oppressed you, then what do you have to fear? Will our church exist as a fortress to keep the bad stuff out? Or will we be an outpost on the leading edge of God's coming kingdom in our world? Because we're not afraid. Because we've been giving a message to proclaim and to demonstrate to the world that there is only one victorious king. Church, we get to live as a people who have, who have true hope. Not wishful thinking, but hope. Because we know how the story ends. We have been rescued from the world's, by the world's eternal king. And you and I get to bring this, get to show this to the world around us. Jesus, um, as, he's, as he's nearing the end of his life, in the hours before he's going to be arrested, he gathers his closest friends and he, he talks about some of this with them. And, and they're eating together and he takes bread and he breaks the bread. Um, and he says, uh, This is what's about to happen to me. My body is going to be broken so that you can be freed. So that you can be forgiven. I'm going to absorb onto myself as only God can everything, everything that has kept you in bondage. Everything that has kept you from a beautiful relationship with God. I'm going to take that onto my body will be broken for you. He takes the wine and he pours it and he says that my blood is going to be shed for you because I never stopped being king and I never stopped pursuing you and loving you. And this I am doing for you so that you can experience true freedom. And they eat and they drink and then they leave and Jesus is arrested crucified. And it's only after the resurrection when his disciples look back at that meal and realize the the significance of it. What happened in that moment? 
Jesus giving them a taste of what was about to happen. But now, now they stand on the other end, the other edge of the cross after the resurrection, and they look back and they say, this will be for us a meal of remembrance, but celebration too. Because Jesus isn't dead. Jesus is alive. So when we uh, take communion this morning, and I'm going to ask our communion servers to go ahead and come on down, you guys. When you come forward, uh, we're going to be singing a couple songs, and just at your as the Spirit prompts you, as you're led, I want you to come forward, take off a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice and take it. And I just ask that you would reflect on the reality that what we're doing here in this elementary school auditorium, what we're doing here is demonstrating and proclaiming to one another that our God is victorious. We're proclaiming and showing to one another that no matter what we experience this week, no matter what's coming later today, no matter what's coming tomorrow, we serve a God who is our king and whom offers us genuine and true freedom. There will also be a couple folks up here who would love to pray with you. If there's something that you want to pray about or have someone pray for you for, um, I'd invite you to to ask them for, for prayer. Let me pray for us. And then again, as the Holy Spirit of God leads you, please come forward and receive these communion elements. We thank you, Jesus, for being our victorious king. We thank you, Jesus, not just for being king, but for being a king who waged a battle for us that we could not fight for ourselves. We thank you for being a king who so humbled himself that you became like us, experiencing our humanity, and then took onto yourself all of our willful rebellion. If the world was a fair place, God, we'd remain entrapped. We'd remain captives to these false lords, to these false gods, to these idols. If the world was a fair place, oh, but God, you... You are not about fairness. You are about justice and grace and mercy. So we thank you that we worship you as king and a king who's been victorious and a king who offers to us right, restored relationship with you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bow your heads and hear these words from Paul in the same book of Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. 
Amen. Amen. Again, if you're new to our church, come forward after the service, meet a few folks. We'd love to see you for lunch today. Just let us know you're coming at the table in the back. See you next week.